Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. Aaron Zink is a pediatric occupational therapist with a private practice in Cincinnati, Ohio. She started her private practice as a seasoned OT in the schools, and she did it on the side of her job so that she could work with ideal clients and earn more money for retirement. I got to know Erin in the Grow Your Private Practice program, where she is doing amazing things. In this episode, she talks about her decision to stay in the schools while growing her practice, her feelings on waiting for the right time to start your private practice, and which population she loves to serve, and how she's focusing on that population in her practice, which is helping fuel her passion while reducing burnout. If you've been thinking about starting and or growing a private practice on the side of your job, this is a must-listen episode, so stay tuned. I'm Jenna Castro-Casbon, speech-language pathologist, business coach, and creator of the Start Your Private Practice system. And I'm on a mission to turn stuck SLPs into successful private practitioners. If you're tired of dealing with high productivity requirements, high caseload sizes, and low pay, it's time to take control of your professional, personal, and financial life and finally get the freedom, flexibility, and financial abundance that you deserve by working with private clients in your own practice. Join me here each week as I share tips, best practices, and inspirational interviews on the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. If you're a private practitioner or one in the making, you're in the right place, so let's get started. All right, so before we dive in, can you please share your name, your location, and the name of your private practice? Sure. My name is Erin Zank. I am an occupational therapist. I live in the Cincinnati, Ohio area, and my business is OT, the number four hope, OT for hope. I love that name. And I have loved getting to know you in the Grow Your Private Practice program. But before we learn about how you grew your practice, can we go back to the beginning of your career as an OT? And can you share a little bit about what that journey was like for you And then at what point did you start thinking about private practice? So I have been an occupational therapist for just about 30 years. I have always worked in pediatrics. That was my dream. That was my goal. So I worked in a lot of different settings. I worked for Shriners on two different occasions, one in orthopedics, one in burns. I've done early intervention Started working in the schools when my older three kids got into school. Then when our older children were preteen teenagers, we became foster parents. And through that journey is 
what brought me in to start to think about private practice because we had to do lots of trauma training and lots of coursework and then just living it, being foster parents. So what kind of happened is we got involved with a parenting group and also me being trained in trust-based relational intervention. I really felt this pull to help families who were struggling with their kiddos who were foster adopted because of behaviors and sensory and all those things and pulling all those pieces together. That is where I started to think about private practice. And that's only been really in the last probably four years. So that's how I got started. And I started off really slowly (laughs) while still working in the schools. But you were busy. Don't work schools full time. But it's interesting as you're talking about the training that you underwent as a foster parent and thinking about other people who were helping, trying to become great foster parents too. I'm wondering, like, probably those kind of practices, like you wouldn't be able to get that other places, right? Is that sort of what you were thinking about in terms of your private practices? Like no one's offering this, but like I could offer this? Yes, that was a snippet of it. A huge part of it for me was just want to help the kids and I want to help the families. And I think my background being that I'd done early intervention, which was all home-based, and my practice is home-based, so I'll clarify that, that working with kids and families in their home, in their environment where they feel the safest, was probably going to be. And so it's very family-centered. So yes, the kids are my actual clients, but it's very family-centered. And I think a lot of clinicians are craving, right? Like, especially people who have been in the schools or even like I'm a hospital trained SLP. Being in hospitals is like, you don't necessarily get that like long-term functional in the home kind of experiences. And I think clinicians are really craving that. And so tell everyone how you started to make that shift toward school OT and then starting to think about opening this private practice. My husband and I were at a event for a parenting organization that is a nonprofit. And as they were talking about supporting families, I just kept feeling like, oh my gosh, I could do something here. After that was all over, I reached out to the director of the organization and was like, I really want to help here. How can I get involved? And so we just really started to. Just have some conversation about me being a part of some of the training they were doing. And so that included talking about sensory needs for kids from hard places, which is how we refer to them. And there were a few families that I knew who were foster and adopted parents. And so I stepped in and reached out to them to say, I'd like to offer some service to you. And so they were totally open to that. And it was me getting my sea legs and being able to feel out like exactly what is it that I want to do? How can I actually support and help these kids and these families? And so really, over the course of time, it's become very clear that, yes, it's occupational therapy, but there's also a huge parent coaching component. And as much 
OT that goes on than that parent education piece. And honestly, the best place to do that is in somebody's home environment where they're comfortable and where you're seeing exactly what's going on moment to moment. When people come into a clinic, and that's not wrong for people to have outpatient services at all, but it's very different. Just stepping into someone's home, I can get all of this just nonverbal information about what goes on and what the needs are. I love that. And it's also just so great for you to lead with what lights you up and where your skill level is, but also meeting the families and the kids where they are. And I can tell that that's just the kind of clinician you are, right? That you want to be able to utilize that home environment and that you take so much, not just professionally, but also personally out of being able to be in those environments. Okay. So you go to this event and you have these light bulb moments You decide that you're going to work with a couple of clients and I think maybe either for free or discounted to get those sea legs. And then what happened next? From there, I started to work with this parent organization, the same one, and I was part of panels. So they do six-week series parenting classes and they pull a panel together of different professionals. And so I became part of that panel. And as that happened, It just naturally promoted my home services. And so I started to get a few more clients from that. And then they started having me participate in the sensory strategies and that evening of teaching. More question and answer. But again, parents started to get to know me and I had to learn how to sell myself a little bit, which can be uncomfortable because I'm not a salesman. I'm a helper. I'm in the helping profession because that's what I want to do. I don't want to sell things, but it just started to pick up. And so that was super helpful by getting clients through that parent organization. And then I started to get a few just by parent referral. So one parent knows another parent and would make a referral. And so sometimes that would turn in to another client. Then at school, people started to know that I was doing outside private practice and started to ask me more questions. And I've gotten some referrals that way just from people knowing that I do this other thing. So it's just continued to grow. The interesting piece of I have a website, I tried to do like a blog and all that stuff in the early, earlier years. And I really didn't get anything from it. I didn't really get clients from it. I think the information was helpful, but really and truly making connections with other organizations. So I also now get referrals from like counselors, social workers, psychologists. A lot of times they're working with families and they realize, oh, there might be some sensory needs here. There might be this. And so they'll make a referral. So yeah, that's how it's grown. And I continue to get referrals that way. Yeah. And that makes so much sense. I think that a lot of people like blogging seems like a good idea. It seems like a good idea. You have a website. There's this idea that you got to put stuff out. People will find you on Google, but it's a little bit more of a passive way to do it. And you just don't have control. Whereas when you're like you're on a panel, you're making connections with counselors and like listeners recognize that your ideal clients 
are also other people's ideal clients, other professionals, right? The counselors that are sending you people, they know these kids and families too, right? You share an ideal type of client. And so making connections with those kind of people and making it clear what it is that you provide that's different than what they provide, it's like a match made in heaven. So it's completely awesome, but also not super surprising that doing this like low-key helpful networking approach has really helped you grow your practice much more than blogging did. My kind of go-to line for people is everything in life happens through relationship. By building relationships and connecting with other people, that's the work I do, but that's also, I think, how my practice has grown. Absolutely. Yeah. People try to grow their practices in different ways, and there's there are faster ways to do it. And sometimes the faster ones are just a little bit more uncomfortable in some ways. Some people just don't feel like they, they can do air quotes networking, right? That seems intimidating to a lot of people. However, if you do it in the right way, right, being on a panel is super helpful, right? That's not salesy. That's not whatever. It's just you're sharing your professional advice and or personal whatever. That's super helpful. That's not pushy. And so like I could talk about this all day, but I think that networking in that way, and if you don't like the word networking, then just say relationship building with other people who share your ideal clients is awesome. Okay. So you started your practice, you've got clients. And at this point, did you still have your full-time school OT job? I did. So I was working working full-time as a school occupational therapist. And not only that, but for 11 years, I was the supervisor for all the OTs and PTs in our district. So I carried a caseload and I was the supervisor of about 40 people. So it was a lot. And I was trying to do the private practice thing, honestly, because that part was what was keeping me afloat mentally. Passion that I have for my private practice, it drives me in a way that isn't exhausting. Then in this past spring, I was accepted into the GROW program and completed that six-month period and very quickly decided I am not going to be the supervisor anymore. So that happened last spring so that I could tell the school district I'm not going to be supervisor anymore. And then I told him I was going to do four days a week. And I knew that was going to be pushing it. I knew four days a week at school and private practice was going to be pushing it. And so I kept, honestly, I was praying about it a lot and trying to listen. Okay, what am I supposed to do? And finally, I knew like everything laid out just in the right way that I was able to say, I'm going to do three days a week. I have cut back. So this is my first school year, no longer the supervisor. And I only work three days a week. And it is glorious. <laughs> Such a huge victory, right? Like you've put in your time, right? I think that you said earlier that you're a seasoned OT, 30 years experience. Like you've put in your time for others, right? Now it's time for you to start to shift your attention to your practice, but in a way that you can still get what you need out of the schools, right? Like that's something we talked about a little bit before we started recording. Would you mind sharing 
with our listeners, especially those who might be hesitant to leave the schools for various reasons, how you now have the best of both worlds. Absolutely. Everybody's family structure is different. And my husband and I, we both work full time. We have four children. We have three grown. Our youngest, oldest just left the nest. And so then we have an eight-year-old because through fostering, we adopted. So we're still very busy. But I also needed the security of insurance, which was a huge factor. And in the school system, what, three days, I can have that. And that's a huge piece. I initially, I did feel some pressure to let go of that altogether. And I just knew it wasn't the right thing because being a provider who is doing home health, there are a lot of things that can come into play with that. You know, I'm going to people's homes, I'm traveling and I, it's not like I have this little area. So I have my license in Ohio and I have my license in Kentucky. Cincinnati sits right there on the river. So you have access to both of those. And I have clients all over the Cincinnati area. It's not localized to where I live. And I have a few clients in Kentucky. So I travel a lot and that's limiting to some degree because you can't schedule patients back to back to back to back to back like you can in a clinic. So you have to allow for the travel time and the getting out of the house time and all that stuff. And then you have things like illness and schedules and all those kinds of things that also come into play. So for me, there is a, there's definitely a level of security of having that financial. There is something that is stable by working part-time at school and then still being able to grow and do my private practice. And this is the really cool part that's come out of keeping both of those is that now with this parenting organization, we've really, we just did a presentation on 504s and IEPs and what does that look like? And what it enabled me to do for those families is to say, look, this is what the state offers. This is what school stuff looks like. But on the parenting side of it, this is your responsibility still. And so having like harder conversations. So having my feet in both worlds, I think is really helping me support these families. And they're not families I have in my district, but just giving them good information and answering their questions and offering them support. So that part's been cool. And I think too, it's just a, a good reminder that everyone does have different situations, right? And so it's really nice to be able to cut down your hours in the school, ramp up your private practice, right? Be able to earn more money that way. Like another thing that you said at the beginning is when you became an OT, it was still was the terminal degree or whatever at the time. And so tell the listeners about your thinking about when people say, oh, you should go get your master's in terms of the steps and whatnot, right? If anyone works in the education system, as soon as you step into it, you're like a teacher. You get a teacher salary. So there's steps and ways to move your salary. But most of that is by getting your master's, getting your doctorate, those kinds of things. First of all, I have no desire to go back to school. Love learning and I love new learning and I don't want to do it 
through the avenue of getting a master's or a doctorate. That's just for me personally. There are co-workers of mine at school who have gone on to get their master's and they've been goading me like, you should go get your master's. I'm like, I don't need to go get my master's. I am doing new learning. I'm constantly learning new things. And I'm able to take that information and apply it in my private practice where I can make more money. And I can make more money there without having to spend money to go get a master's or a doctor. And so the need for that is no longer there. And will I leave school at some point? I have no idea. It's an interesting question because people always will say, oh, was your goal to get out of the schools? And sometimes I think yes. And then sometimes I think, I don't know. Like there's parts of being a school therapist too that I still really enjoy. And I think because my passion is really supporting kids who are struggling with behaviors and those are the kids I get to work with at school. I think that's why I don't feel this strong pull to just step away completely because I feel like I can do both. But I will say having my private practice is what keeps me motivated and going. That's what keeps me going. There can be a drudgery, as we all know. (laughs) And you have to find that balance because one of the things I say a lot too is just balance over burnout. If you don't have that balance and whatever balance means to you, you're going to lead to burnout. And if that happens, like then you're not helping anybody, right? Then you can't help the kids. You can't help your clients. You're not helping yourself, right? And so I love that you've been able to add a private practice onto your career in a way that works for your family, allows you to have two ideal client populations that you just happen to see in different settings and be able to make more money for your family then you would like either waiting or working up steps, which you're not really interested in working up. Absolutely. And I think the other piece of it too, that can be hard and grow helped me with this also is that because I do home therapy, this time of year gets a little challenging because everybody wants after school times and I'm not going to be working every day after school. That doesn't suit my family either because I do still have an eight-year-old at home. So it's been really good to, in the beginning, you feel so much, oh, I need to take that grant and I need to do them at the time that they say and those kinds of things. And I think Grow really helped me with that to be able to say, this is what I have available. And to put my parameters, it's my practice, so I can put some parameters on when I'm going to work. And it gives me some flexibility. I've also been able to hone in on some homeschool families, which is fantastic because then I can see those kids during the day. So again, there's that balance piece of figuring out, I can't see two kids every day after school. I will have no life and I won't get home until late. And that doesn't serve a purpose either. And then I usually will work with clients one Saturday a month. And so it's worked. So far, it has worked. And I am super thankful and blessed by that. I love it. And the other thing that I love is that that you did it, right? Like you you got to a place in your career where you're like, listen, I'm either I'm doing this right or I'm not. I saw an opportunity. 
What would you say to people who are further along in their careers and are worried that maybe they've missed the boat on private practice? I just turned 52. And so I would say it's never too late, like really never. My husband was a certified occupational therapy assistant, and he did that up until and a little bit through COVID and burnout was unbelievable. Now he is a driver's instructor and he does rehab driving and my husband's 12 years older than me. So it's never too late. It really isn't. And it doesn't mean that you have to take on this whole huge business and have employees and do all of these things. It doesn't have to look like that if that's not what you're looking for. You can pick up a few clients here and there. You can try it out, see how it goes. If you have a real passion for something, then I would encourage anybody to just take some initial steps to start it because it's so fun. I have so much fun in my private practice. It's amazing. And it is very personal. The relationships that I've built with the families and the parents is something that is amazing because they will send me a text message, a picture two or three days after I've been there showing me like, look what so-and-so is doing and or a little video or, and I tell my husband, I'm like, this is amazing. This is why I love this work because there is that connection and there is progress being made because the parents are motivated to carry it over. And that's really hard to find at school. (laughs) That's right. And it's I'm a big believer, too, in just like the home environment and having that parent education, the parent coaching really does help. But I absolutely love the aspects of your story that you've really been able to do both things and that you're by having that balance, by having your practice, which has helped. I think your words keep you sane or keep you happy or those kind of things. I think that's great. So listeners, if you're thinking about doing this, Aaron has found a way to have both, that it doesn't have to be either or. You can have both so you can keep that steady income. You can keep your benefits. You can do whatever, but also have this entire other professional and personal life through a practice that you build in a way that works absolutely for you and your family and isn't, you know, what maybe you see other people do. It's what works for you. I now wouldn't trade it. It's still the same. There are sometimes some sessions are hard. Some kids are hard. Some of that stuff is still there. But overall, it's some of the most rewarding work I've ever been able to do. Before we wrap up, is there any last pieces of advice that you have for people who are thinking about either starting a private practice or growing it? I think if you are thinking about starting, even if I have a coworker who said, really like to really help kids with handwriting. And I'm like, you should do it. Just find a couple families that you can work with after school. Like you should totally do that because then you don't have to go back to school and get your master's. She's one of the ones like me that hasn't gone back and done her master's. So I think if you have a passion or an idea of something that you think would be fun and meet a need, just step out slowly. You don't have to have this grandiose, here's my practice. You can just reach out to a couple families, 
and say, hey, would you be interested in this, that, or the other? I think people could easily use social media for things like that as well. And then in terms of growing, I think it's hard to know what your next steps are sometimes. And grow helped me with that. If nothing else, it gave me the courage to kind of do it. I just, I don't know, was starting to research some other avenues to try and make connections. And I got accepted to be like a poster presenter at a homeschool conference next spring. And so that's something that literally has almost nothing to do with occupational therapy. But because I've had some families who are homeschoolers and a lot of them are adopted families and a lot of them, it fits. It's a good place for me to go and see if I can make any connections with anybody. Even if it's not families, it might be other professionals. And Grow really did help me because over the course, so back in the spring, I think I was seeing about five or six kids in a week. Now, remember, I was still working full-time and the supervisor, but I needed that to increase, right, if I was going to step away from those roles. So this week, I have 12. So it doubled. And that's been pretty consistent through the summer and leading into the new school year. Yeah, it's been very helpful. Very helpful. Awesome. That is fantastic, right? To be able to double your caseload and then just fill that time, right? That was your whole point, right? Is like, okay, if I reduce my my days to three, then I have time to fill it. So making sure that you were able to do that and then you did do that. And so I think that is awesome, right? That's the goal that we have for a lot of people is, like, okay, what is your schedule? Is it part-time? Is it full-time? Doesn't matter. Let's do what we need to do, what you need to do to fill that time so that you not only are filling your practice, but making the income that you need to make and everything else. I think that there's so much in your story that is completely like inspirational to people, shows people how you were able to do this in a very stepwise, methodical, and also careful way to be able to follow your clinical passions and then personal as well. So thank you, Erin, for sharing your story with our listeners. I think it's always cool when someone who's been a listener of the podcast becomes someone who's interviewed. So thank you for sharing your story today. I appreciate you and your program greatly, Jenna. It's definitely been a guest. Thank you for being a part of it. I'm glad that we were able to help you. Don't you just love Erin? I love how passionate she is about her clients and also how thoughtful she is about how private practice fits into her life and her rationale for staying in the schools while she grows her practice. Erin is the perfect example of someone who wanted to have a private practice, so she started one, and now she's growing, and this is giving her new ways to channel her passion for occupational therapy. We've enjoyed supporting Erin in our program, and we would love to support you too. To learn how we can do this, please visit independentclinician.com. As always, thank you for listening and please tune in next week for another episode of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. 
head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at independent clinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.